So um, I'd like to ask you to find in your Bibles Acts chapter 16. And first, I want to thank you for coming today on a day that is um, less than ideal weather-wise. Maybe somewhere, if you've been around church very long, maybe you've heard the expression, the frozen chosen, look around you. You are it. You are the ones. So thanks for coming out today. Um, it's, it's a testimony that you really want to be with God's people, uh, want to worship and hear God's word. So thanks a lot for coming. Second thing is, I want to apologize for the confusion. Um, it seems like there's kind of guys just kind of rotating back and forth through here every every Sunday, like Max said, with the, with the four pastors, and you kind of go, well, hey, wait a minute, what, who, you know, wh- why is this happening? And um, because last week you had a sermon in, in uh, Galatians, and this week we're going to be back in Acts chapter 16, and we hope to get that synced up to where uh, our plan is to get that synced up to where you'll be having two sermons in one book and then two sermons in a row in another, so we're not just back and forth like that. So I, I apologize for that confusion. So, uh, and we are trying to work it out. If you say, well, gee, this is the first time I've ever seen something like this happen, get in line. It's the first time we've ever done it. <laughs> so we're trying to figure it out as we go. Acts chapter 16. Paul, the apostle, uh, wrote uh, to the Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And I wonder, I just wonder, after after studying this passage and, and going through it, if, if maybe in, in the apostle's mind, if he didn't have in his mind, in the back of his mind, or maybe even the front of his mind, the story that we're going to hear about today, about the gospel coming to the city of Philippi. I wonder when Paul said, you know, I've seen the power of God in, in, in salvation. I've seen it work. I've seen it work in difficult circumstances. I've, I've come to rely on it. I believe that God's gospel can save people, can give life. It was the backbone of his ministry, was his confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if, if, if when he was writing this, which would be sometime later, if he was thinking about this story that we're going to unfold today in Philippi. He'd witness the power again and again. You know, God wants us to be just as confident of the gospel as the Apostle Paul was. He wants us to have that same confidence, that same surety that is the power that changes lives, that transforms lives, and will transform lives, even in really difficult circumstances. So today, we, we see God sending Paul and Silas and the gospel to a new continent, to Europe, and in particular in Europe, to Greece, and in particular in Greece, in Macedonia, which is the north part, and in particular Macedonia, a city called Philippi, which is a short distance from the coast. Now, unlike the places where the gospel had gone before on Paul's first missionary journey in Asia Minor, there were no synagogues here. There, were, there, there was no knowledge of the Word of God or the Scriptures. There's very little 
understanding of anything like that, it was um, some pretty, it was, it was a tough place. And the gospel plow now we see is going to get into the ground in a pretty hard spot. Now I say it was hard because not only was there just ignorance of God in general, in, in, in the European continent, no knowledge of the Jews or the Jews' God or the Jewish scriptures or anything like, not, like that. Not only were they ignorant of it, but this was also a stronghold of the enemy, of Satan. And we know that because uh, 1 John 5 tells us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So God in his mercy is sending the gospel now to a new continent. And the enemy was prepared to meet him and meet the gospel right at the water's edge. So how would this work out? With the gospel going to a place where it had never been preached, where there was no knowledge of God, no knowledge of the scriptures, in these tough conditions, vicious opposition. How would the power of the gospel work out here? Now, way back in the 70s, when I graduated from college, I went to work for Caterpillar Tractor Company. Um, it wa I wasn't a Caterpillar dealer. It was Caterpillar's world headquarters in Peoria, Illinois. And um, Cat, and at that time, I think employed about 80,000 people in that area right around Peoria. And uh, every summer, they had something I thought was really interesting. It was called the Cat Power Parade. And what they would do is they out at the at the local fairgrounds out there they would uh, they would bring out uh, all kinds of pa caterpillar power equipment you know the big diesel heavy duty stuff like that and 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 push dirt around and do all kinds of power demonstrations like that but then the highlight of the event was when they would bring out the Illinois State Tractor Pull Champion okay with a you know a farm farm tractor with all souped up you know with all that kind of thing and they would take that tractor and they would chain it to the back end of a just an ordinary run-of-the-mill off the production line D9 tractor. And so they would drop the flag and so they'd have this towing contest. And the dirt would fly and the fire was jumping out of the exhaust pipes of the of this farm, you know, of this uh, souped up Illinois state champion tractor and the dust was flying and everything like that. And pretty soon out of the dust, you'd see this little clack, 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 clack. The cat D9 was just pulling it all around. No sweat. So what they did then was they hooked up the runner-up of the state champion and the state champion both against the D9. And the D9 just clack, 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 clack. Just pulled them no sweat. Right? right? Okay. And, and then they do it in mud. And then the result was the same. Right? Now, the interesting thing about this is that this power parade was not for customers. This power parade was for the employees so that we would know that Caterpillar Power was superior. And we did, man. I mean, when we left, we were jacked up. I mean, you know, Caterpillar can run over the world, right? And we, would, we, would, we were so convinced of that, we would tell that to anybody that would listen. God wants us to be just that confident of his power. And I believe that Acts 16 is God's 
gospel power on display. The gospel overpowers the strongest adversary, reaches the most unlikely and unworthy of God's uh, of God's creation with with God's saving love. And a saving gospel needs to have absolute power because Satan's power rises in all of its strength against God's kingdom. And God wants us to be confident of the power of the gospel to save. Now it's interesting that at the very outset of Jesus' ministry at a synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus said these words. He said, I've come to set the captives free. To set the captives free. And it's interesting that today, the main characters, the focus of the gospel power in the story we're going to see today is a slave girl and a guy who worked in a jail, the Philippian jailer. An evil, deceiving, demon-possessed fortune teller and a blue-collar working stiff that was totally unconcerned about anything spiritual and whose highest goal in life was to be employee of the month in the Roman prison system. And yet God chose these two very unlikely sinners to be delivered by the power of the gospel. Let's look in Acts chapter 16. We'll pick up in the 16th verse. Acts 16, 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. But when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized 
and all his household. And he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now skip down to verse 39. And when they came and appealed to them, and they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, that is out of the prison, they kept begging them to leave the city. To leave the city. I think that there is God's power on display here in at least four areas. Four that I've seen, you probably see more. Four specific areas. And the first one is God's sheer power to take what belongs to Satan. But before we get to that, I've got one other power I just want to mention in passing, and that's the power of initiative. Because of his compassion, God, in his mercy, sent the gospel to, to Philippi. Because you see, in, in all, of, all of we see in all of Paul's missionary journeys, this was the most direct call by far. Because Paul and his companions had wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said no. And then they wanted to go over in the region of Bithynia, and, and, and they were not permitted to go. So God says, no, not here, no, not here, there. It was a direct call to Macedonia. Now, the Philippians didn't ask for that. They didn't say, hey, God, why don't you send somebody over here? We need the gospel. This was all out of God's mercy and out of his compassion. These people in Philippi were ignorant uh, uh, that they were spiritually dead and they were oblivious to, to their sin and God's judgment. You know what? They were just like the average happy pagan in central Oregon. Unconcerned, unaware, oblivious. But God in his mercy sends the good news of the gospel and stirs things up. Things are stirred up here. You know, the disciples are described in the very next chapter of Acts 17 as those who were turning the world upside down. Now, when God is stirring up people and things around us, it is because of his love. It's because he is busy exerting his power to set the captives free. So how did he do it? In most of Paul's other journeys, there was a synagogue where Paul would go in, and that raised enough of a ruckus right there when you go in and preach the gospel in a Jewish synagogue. But there was no Jewish synagogue here. How did he stir things up? God stirred things up by going and taking away what belonged to Satan, just catching it away. So the first way I see that God's power is on display is to the power to take what belongs to Satan. It says that he spoke to the demon and commanded it in the name of Jesus to come out, and that very hour, that very moment, it left. You know, it's interesting that God just came up and took what belonged to Satan right away. Now, if we contrast that, in John chapter 10, Jesus, as the good shepherd says, I give myself for my sheep, and no one, do you get this? No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. This was a power play. The apostle Paul uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
took what belonged to Satan and made it God's just by his power. No one is able, Jesus said, to take out of my grip. No one is able to snatch them away. No power of hell, no fear of man, we just sang, right, is able to snatch me from his hand. Got that? Power. The power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The second one, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, the way, that, the way that this unfolded is God dispossessed the girl from the demon and her owners from their prophet because God knew that a hit to their pocketbooks would get their attention. And it did. And if you um, if you just kind of scan the whole bull of Act, the whole book of Acts, you find out that God frequently uses the pocketbook to get people's attention. We see it in, in with Demetrius the silversmith in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, and Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8, all zeroing in on money because it gets people's attention. God knows how to get people's attention. This girl, we're told, had a spirit of divination. And the, the actual language has had a spirit of python, like the snake. In Greek mythology, and remember this is Greece, python was the serpent that guarded the temple of Delphi, where the oracle of Delphi made the pronouncements and predicted the future. So uh, Apollos, one of the other gods, decided that he wanted that temple for himself. So there was a battle, and the, the snake, Python, was killed. The, the, the spirit was killed. And it was, and it was assumed then that anyone from that point on who had the powers of fortune-telling were deemed to have the spirit of Python. So I just want you to recognize that this was no carnival sideshow, this girl telling the, the fortune. She was the real deal. She, it's, it says that, um, she brought her owners much profit because apparently some of the things that she said came true, or at least the people believed it. She had a power over the people. She channeled the highest power known to these local people. And she was possessed of the forces of darkness, an enemy of God. And yet, God called Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke the entourage all the way across the Aegean Sea, not to destroy this enemy, but to deliver her. That's the power of the gospel. This poor girl was exploited in every way. We, we would say like uh, somebody, a, a young girl being used in sex traffic. She was powerless over herself. She was dehumanized, and she was just a, a commodity both to her owners, and her customers. She was nothing. And God in his mercy, by the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus, set her free. God just ripped her away from Satan by force. Now, by demonic power, she spoke the truth both about the men and their mission. She said, these men are, are servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That's true. Now, Satan uses confusion as well as he uses persecution. 
One of the Puritans, I couldn't write down, I couldn't chase down which one it was, but I remember a long time ago, wrote this. He said, Satan will say a hundred true things to set you up for the hundred and first thing that's false. And some Christians assume that if something is real, that it's right. But there are real powers that are not right. And we always have to be aware of the fact that there's a difference between the supernatural and the divine. Just because something is supernatural doesn't mean it is of God. And in this case, that's what the Apostle Paul identified. Now, it's hard to say, you know, there's... In, in this story, it says that this this girl followed Paul around on their place to pr- on, on the way to prayer, you know, for many days, and and it's really hard to say, I think, for sure, why it is that Paul delayed in casting out this demon. I don't think he was confused at all about the source of where this girl was getting her power. It wasn't like, well, well, maybe she's a Christian or maybe she's speaking. No, no, I don't think that at all. I do think that Paul knew that when the demon was cast out, all hell was going to break loose. And it did. It did. The liberation of this slave girl is the first domino that God pushes over, starting a series of events that leads to the salvation of this girl, of the jailer, and the founding of that church in Philippi. First domino in a chain of events that God pushes over. Well, God has the power to take Satan's possessions. He also has the power to use Satan's opposition for his saving purposes. Here's a phrase worth remembering. Hell may rage, but Jesus rules. Hell may rage, but Jesus rules. Because there is a cascade of events that we're going to see going through this story, beginning with the false charges by the owners, the beatings, the imprisonment, the midnight singing with the blood beginning to congeal on their back, singing praises and praying. All of these events. It says about midnight that they were singing and praying. I don't know. Psalms, right, are prayers and songs. So I wonder, you know, I just wonder, just speculating, were they, you know, midnight, were Paul and Silas, the ones who were beaten, sitting in the middle of that prison with their feet in stocks, which, by the way, are not the kind of stocks that you remember seeing pictures of the Puritans, you know, where they would sit like this out in the public square. These were the kind of stocks that spread people's legs out this way. Not even that way, like gymnasts can do it. It was this way. Very, very uncomfortable. Torture, you could say. What were they singing? What were they praying? Were they praying Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Is that what they were praying? Is that what they were singing? I don't know. 
Were they singing Psalm 100? Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Well, whatever it was, right after that, there was an earthquake, and it was no ordinary earthquake. Because it says all of the doors of the prison were open immediately. Earthquakes cause things to fall down and crush and fall over and roll and get in the way and things like this. It says the doors just kind of sprung open. The other thing it says is that everyone's, all the prisoners, chains weren't broken. That's not the word that's used here. It says that they were unlatched. This was no ordinary earthquake at all. And this sleeping jailer, it says when the jailer awoke, it's kind of like he slept through the earthquake. But he saw the doors opened and he was ready to kill himself because his world was over. His hard work had come to nothing. You know, we know this guy was a real zealot for his job and for the authorities and to be thought well of because actually when they uh, when they gave him Paul and Silas to put in the prison, they just told him to guard him securely. So they put him, he put them in the middle part of the prison, which is kind of a cell inside a cell. You might say solitary confinement. And he put their feet in stocks. They didn't ask him to do that, but this guy was zealous for his job. This was his deal. You see, this, this, uh, this, this, this jailer would get the idea that his hopes rose and fell according to his success of what was happening inside the four walls of that prison. And this night, those hopes had fallen finally, never to rise again, and he knew it. He was ready to kill himself. To the jailer, all was lost. But God had arranged that the Apostle Paul would be there for just such a time as this. And at the moment of his deepest despair, certain that his life was over, he heard the words, do, do not harm yourself. Do not harm yourself. God uses Satan's rage and fury to accomplish his plan of salvation. You see the chain of events here? Erwin Lutzer, who was, uh, used to be the president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, wrote a book called God's Devil. <laughs> I like that. And he says this in here. He says, we should never give thanks to God for sin, or for that matter, we should never give thanks to God for Satan. But we can give thanks to God for the way God uses evil to accomplish his purposes. God knows. And God controls the end from the beginning. What to us is an unfolding drama that's, that, that, that seems to be chaotic and, and, and it's going to who knows where. God knows exactly where it's going. It's a settled matter for him. And it, that, that truth is a mind-boggling, faith-stimulating, and praise-evoking truth. 
and Paul, we don't have a chance, uh, don't have time to get into it. But at the end of Romans chapter 11, when he's been trying to get his mind wrapped around how God can use evil and how God brings the rejection of the Israeli uh, uh, of Israel to uh, to result in, in in the salvation of the Gentiles, Paul he just blows his circuits. He says, he says, oh. The depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So our part is not to understand how this is all going down, but to trust Jesus when all hell breaks loose. Because hell really isn't breaking loose at all. It's being directed by God to save his people. Hell may rage, but Jesus rules. Power of the gospel. Here's another evidence. The power to suffer for Christ, to have peace and confidence in, in suffering. The jailer, in his worst moment, heard compassion from a man that he had abused Songs of praise from a man severely beaten. Prayers of thanksgiving from men in physical misery. At midnight, it says that the jailer awoke. And this guy was becoming the most woke person on the European continent. Right then and right there. From the inner cell of a prison, the jailer heard the voice of a free man saying, don't harm yourself. And that night, the jailer himself was freed from the prison, from his own prison of hopelessness and despair. And you can't miss that irony of a jailer in a jail, in prison himself, hearing the voice of a free man that's imprisoned. That's the that's the power of God's grace at work. And, and as we accept like Paul and Silas did with thanksgiving what Jesus allows to pass into our lives, we're confident that Jesus is in control of all the hell that's breaking loose. And you know when that happens, the world takes notice and wants to know why. They want to know how. They want to know who is making the difference. They say, I want that. The jailer rushed in. And he was saying, I want that. I want what you have. Or, or better yet, I want what has you. Which leads us to the next demonstration of God's power. The power of the gospel to save. The power of the gospel to save. He was told, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now likely, this jailer had never even heard the name of Jesus before that night. And so it says that Paul spoke the word of the Lord, that is who Jesus is, what he has done, his sinless life, dying on the cross as our substitute sacrifice, his power over death through the resurrection and his promise of eternal life to anyone who believes. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the gospel is what saves. That is the power of God unto salvation. And faith, trust, putting our full weight on what he has done, 
is how we are saved, is how that salvation and eternal life becomes ours. So you have this formerly unconcerned jailer, unaware, who by circumstances that night was in the deepest despair and the point of being suicidal. says that he was ready to fall on his sword. That's about as deep as despair gets. And in a moment, people, notice, a few verses later, it says, that very hour, he washed and set food before them, and there was great rejoicing. I mean, not only is the gospel simple to apprehend, he wasn't told by the Apostle Paul, well, you know, jailer, you know, you don't know anything about God, so we need to put you in classes uh, to teach you this thing, that thing, and the other thing. He said they spoke the word of the Lord to him about what Jesus had done. He didn't say, you know, you kind of get to get your life right. You kind of got to get squared around, get pointed in the right direction so that you'll be acceptable to God. He didn't say that. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's simple. It's also speedy. This guy, ready to fall on his sword, was despondent, was beyond despondent, was suicidal. I think if you would have told that guy, you know what, there's something going to happen to you that in an hour, it says, you know, in a few hours, the same night, you're going to be rejoicing. It's like, what? What kind of power is that that brings despondency, hopelessness, and you know, there, there, there might well be people in here today that are in that very position, in that very condition. Life has fallen down around you, and you know it. You're hopeless, and you think, if there's ever going to be any change, it's going to take years. I'm not going to know joy. It's too far gone. Consider what happened with this man, how simply it happened, and how speedily it happened. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, and your world will turn around instantly. So why are these things here? What what does God want us to notice about this story? I think he wants us to be absolutely confident in the power of the gospel, because when we are confident... We're confident in receiving the good news. God doesn't show us his power, unlike Caterpillar, just to impress us. God shows us his power that we might trust him, that we might put our full weight on his word and on his gospel. Because when we're confident, we receive the good news with with confidence. When we're confident, we'll be indiscriminate of sharing the good news. There was a a demon-possessed girl and an apathetic, unaware jailer. What do we as Christians say about the culture that we inhabit? There There is fierce opposition on the part of some and some that just don't care. Here it is. 
The power of the gospel with both of these. And recognizing we have opportunities in adversity, we'll have peace and confidence in suffering, assured that God is at work. 1 Peter 3.14 says, If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. When we're confident, we're going to rest in the knowledge that as Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. Confident that God uses even the enemy's opposition to bring men into relationship with himself. Satan rages, but Jesus rules. Our story began today with a slave girl and a guy that worked in a prison. And I want to say just a word about slavery. Everyone, everyone is a slave of someone or something. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Truly, truly, Jesus said. It's kind of like, now hear this. Get this right. Make sure that there's no mistake in understanding that everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. That is, spiritually enslaved to sin. The problem is, is we don't believe that. We don't believe that we're slaves. No one believes that. Few people believe that. But the, in this, but the people in this story illustrate the point. The, the slave girl was obviously a slave, right? She was enslaved to the demons. She was enslaved to her owners. The jailer was a slave to his career and approval of his superiors. The slave girl's owners and the authorities and the crowds were all slaves to their prophet, to their customs, and to their Roman identity. Now, on the other hand, I said everyone. The apostles Paul, James, and Peter described themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. And as a perfect man, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself took on the form of a bond slave. So there really is no neutral ground here. All of us came into this room as a slave to someone or something and all of us will leave the same way. Surprisingly, Jesus also said that if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. It's a paradox, isn't it? We find freedom and slavery to, to Jesus Christ. Freedom from the tyranny of sin. Freedom from condemnation from guilt and from shame, freedom from hopelessness like this uh, Philippian jailer, and freedom to be loved by love incarnate in the person of Jesus. So the choice is yours today. You just get to choose what kind of slave you're going to be. A slave to sin, which leads to death and judgment, or a slave to Christ, which is the greatest freedom you've ever known. And I pray 
as you consider this, that you're not like the authorities. Because the surprising thing to me in this story is that they obviously saw that there was a change in this slave girl, that she was liberated. I don't think that you could mistake or misread the the joy that was now in this Philippian jailer's life. And even having witnessed all of this transformation that comes from the gospel, you know what the response was? Just get out of town. Take it out of town. Go away. I pray that that's not your response today. That you see the power of God in the gospel and the radical transformation of lives around you and the offer of the gospel. And you just say, go away. I want this moment to just pass. Why remain a slave to sin when Jesus died? I love a song that Andrew Peterson wrote not long ago called, Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? And most of the text is taken from a scene in Revelation 5. And I love this description of Jesus. In that song it says, Jesus is the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He's the Lamb that was slain to ransom the slave. Don't turn away. Don't just wish for this moment to go away. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, we thank you for the power of your gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you you pull the curtains back, Lord, in, in passages like this and let us see it. And Father, I pray that every person here, uh, Lord, would respond to that with, with happy submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving the free gift of eternal life. And Lord, for those of us that know you, Lord, that we would be stoked again with your power, convinced, Lord, that the hard ground that there is in our lives, Lord, and the hard ground that we see around it, the the opposition, Lord, and the apathy, that we would recognize, Lord, that it's the power of the gospel, Lord, is triumphant even there. So encourage our hearts, Lord, with these words today in Jesus' name.